Well, this morning we make our return to the book of Exodus. And uh, when we read through Exodus, we're reminded of the importance of rituals and traditions. And even outside of the religious context, rituals and traditions are important to us. Uh, for many of us, it would be really difficult to have a birthday without people gathering around a cake that maybe half the people actually like, you know, with a bunch of candles in it that are dripping wax everywhere, and then you're going to blow it out and make a wish and all this kind of weird stuff. If you were coming from a different country or some other culture that didn't do that, you'd be like, why, why the candles? And how come half the cake got thrown in the trash? Uh, why all the festivities? Why that song? I've been to three birthday parties already. Everyone sings the same song. Why, why the song? Because traditions are important. They help us celebrate the person that, uh, that has the birthday. You can think of something more formal like a graduation, high school, or college. Everyone's dressing in weird gowns. Ask around, where do we get these gowns? Where did these gowns come from? Nobody knows. With the goofy hats, with the flat top, and the tassels hanging in your face. You're constantly blown out of the way. It's weird. Pomp and circumstances playing. Why that? Because that's the song. And you march up there, and you grab your diploma, and they announce any awards you won, and you go and sit back down, and you turn the tassel to the other side of the cap. Maybe it's a ceremony where you throw the cap in the air. Traditions and rituals are oftentimes physical enactments, right? We're doing something physical. We're gathering around the cake. We're eating the cake. We're lighting candles. We're blowing the candle. We're singing a song. So it's audible. It's physical. Same with the graduation. You're wearing something. It's visible. Everyone sees who the graduates are. The colors mean stuff. Certain sashes mean something else. The song means something, the tassel means something, the side of the cap that the tassel is on means something. There's meaning in symbols because it's about honor and it's about celebration. Oftentimes it's about remembering. And what God wants to do with Israel in this chapter, these chapters we're going to see this morning, is He wants to set up a ritual so that they don't forget, so that they remember And what he wants them to remember is centered around death. Maybe not as fun as a birthday party. Maybe not as celebratory as a graduation. But he centers around the theme of death because that's what all of this has been barreling down toward. You remember all these plagues, the first nine plagues that God throws down on Egypt, it was warm-up. It was a preview. It was... It was just getting uh, Pharaoh and Egypt to the place where they cannot deny who is God in this place. But in the very beginning, God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, it's either your firstborn or mine. If you don't let my firstborn go, I'm taking your firstborn out. So all these nine plagues are just ramping up to this final plague of death where God takes the firstborn of every man, woman, family, animal in Egypt. It's a sad story. It's a tragic story. Uh, But we recognize as we read through it why this is. God has his people. They're enslaved and in bondage. The captor doesn't want to let them go. And to finally make that breaking point, God unleashes death over the land. We're going to see that in Exodus chapter 11. 
please turn there. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of these home. But Exodus chapter 11, we'll see this final plague that isn't like any of the other plagues. There were frogs and there were locusts and there was the river turned to blood and cattle had died and there was a lot of nasty stuff and smelly stuff, you remember? You know, some of them just really, there was a stench in the land. But this one's different on a couple of accounts. One, because it's much more serious. It's the death of the firstborn of every family. And second, because this is the plague that's going to become a tradition, a ritual that's to be lived out forever and remembered for every generation afterward. If you join me in chapter 11, verse 1, we're going to go all the way to 13, 16, but we're not going to read every single verse. Okay? We're going to kind of pause in certain places But I do want to read chapter 11. It's short. It kind of sets up the narrative. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Verse 4, So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all of these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. It's important to recognize that Moses is emphasizing to Pharaoh why Egypt is going to get it and Israel's not going to get it. The fact that there's going to be a distinction between Israel and Egypt. That distinction, the proof in that distinction is going to be Egyptian firstborns are dead and Israelite firstborns are not dead, right? So death came in the land and some lost their firstborns and some didn't. And for Egypt, they lost them. Death hit. For Israel, they didn't lose their firstborn and the dead, their firstborn were not taken by death. But lest we think that it's about race or ethnicity, we need chapter 12. Lest we think it's about who's good and who's not good, we need chapter 12. And chapter 12 is this ritual that's going to make Israel remember what that distinction was and why that distinction was. That distinction is not because Israel is better than Egypt. 
That distinction is not simply an arbitrary choosing. That distinction is not because of a higher moral ground that Israel is on. That distinction is made because of a ritual that involves a sacrifice. The sacrifice covers you or the sacrifice doesn't cover you. That's the distinction. And so in chapter 12, he makes it clear to Moses and to Aaron to gather the people to get the assembly. And what they're going to do, each family, to not get this plague of death touching their firstborn child. You will take a lamb, that's in verse 3. Everyone will take a lamb for each household. Okay. What is the lamb like? Verse 5, the lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You take it from the sheep or you take it from the goats. It's a year old male without blemish. There's no defect. It's pure. So he doesn't want them to take the one that's, eh, this one's limping and it's not going to do us any good anyway, so let's take that one. Eh, this one's blind, so let's take that one. No, take the best. Nothing is wrong with it. It didn't do anything wrong. It's got nothing wrong. There's no physical defect. It, it's not weird. You know, it, there's nothing wrong with it at all. No blemish. And that's the one you're going to take. What are you going to do with it? Well, you're going to kill it. You're going to kill it. Verses 7 and following, he says, you take its blood, you put it in a bucket, you take some hyssop, and you put the blood on the posts of the doorway to your house. When the angel of death comes and he's looking for the firstborn child of every family, he comes to a household where there's that blood on the door jams and the lentil from that blemishless lamb. The angel of death will pass over that house and go to the next one. So you see, the distinction is not he's going to pass over Israelite households. You could be an Israelite, not have sacrificed the lamb. And that plague of death is coming into your house. He even makes provisions for those who are not Israelites. He says all they have to do is get circumcised, which is the sign of faith in the Old Testament. Because it's not just about killing a lamb, it's about the faith that you apply. So there was a way for a non-Israelite to be folded in. And they can put the blood of the lamb on their house if they were circumcised first. Meaning, you have to apply faith to this ritual, otherwise it's just a ritual. But the ritual is important nonetheless. It didn't necessarily start out as a ritual, but in verse 14 he says, by the way, this day is going to be a memorial for you guys. That's in 1214. You're going to keep doing this every year. When, you're, when Egypt is long gone behind you, and it was generations ago. Remember, remember Egypt? I remember great-grandpa saying something about Egypt. You're still going to be doing this once a year celebrating this passing over or the Passover when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, not arbitrarily, but because of this sacrifice of the spotless, blemishless lamb. So it's important for us to realize death would have visited were it not for the sacrifice. Then he wants them to make sure that it's a memorial that is passed down from generation to generation. Verse 14, throughout your generations as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. And they're going to follow it the way they're supposed to follow it, which involves 
among many other things, unleavened bread, bread that doesn't have yeast in it, bread that doesn't rise. So not poofy, spongy, wonder bread, but flat, no rise to it. Uh, yeast would take a while. You've got to take this piece of dough and let it ferment. And once it ferments, you take that piece and stick it in the other batch of dough. And then when you bake that, it rises. That takes too much time. And you're, you all are not doing that. In fact, he wants them to get ready to hurry up. He wants them to eat this in haste. If you see verse 11 of chapter 12, here's how you're going to eat the Passover meal. By the way, they sacrificed the lamb and used the blood on the doorpost, but now they're going to roast it and eat this lamb. And he said, no leftovers. No leftovers. Sounds like me at my house. You know, eat all this stuff. Anything that doesn't get eaten would get burned. This is going to be a complete sacrifice, and you're not allowed to take this thing that, that means that you got passed over, this important ritualistic piece of meat, and, and throw it to the dogs or kind of eat it tomorrow in a sandwich. No, 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 no. It's the Passover meal, and that's it. So eat all of it. Anything that gets left over, burn it up. But here's what's interesting. Verse 11, he said, here's how you're going to eat it. He even wants to get down to how they're going to eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. So what he wants them to do is not be in robes, PJs, bunny slippers, right? The thing that you sleep with over your eyes, that's ready to go on top of your forehead so you can eat and just kind of go to sleep. No, 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 you aren't going to sleep. You guys are leaving. So make no provision for hanging around long. Don't even dress like you're going to hang out for a while. As soon as this Passover happens, they're going to drive you out, and they're going to drive you out fast. And one of the symbols that you're always going to use to remember how quickly you were driven out, how, how decidedly God brought you out of Egypt, is unleavened bread. Bread takes time to leaven, and you don't have time to leaven your bread so from here on out, you're going to eat unleavened bread for a week, culminating in this Passover meal. So we see that in certain spots in chapter 12, uh, 14 to 20. It's a, it's a memorial. And he says in verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Not only are you not going to eat unleavened bread, you're going to remove all the leaven out of your houses. Then he says, in verse 43, chapter 12, verse 43, these are important parts of the ritual. He says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover, no foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money shall eat of it. And what are they going to eat? They're going to eat this uh, unleavened bread. If you see verse uh, chapter 13, 1 through 16, God brings them out by strong hand in verse 3. And no leavened bread shall be eaten. You see that connection? Out of the house of slavery, they're brought out with a strong hand. And no leavened bread shall be eaten. Again, it's the swiftness with which God brought them out that is to be remembered. And how are they going to remember that? Bread that we didn't have time to leaven. Right? That's the symbol. That's the imagery. And so he has long sections here, Moses does, of the unleavened bread, how long not to eat it, don't even have it in the house, don't even have it in a cupboard somewhere in the pantry, you will die. No leaven in the house. That's how important it is 
uh, to the ritual. And he explains why. We see that in 12.34 and 39. 12.34. He says, So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. In other words, they took their stuff with them that they weren't able to use. They weren't able to use it before they left because they're rushing out and they weren't able to leaven their bread. And if you look at verse 39, they baked what kind of cakes? Unleavened cakes of dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened. Why? Because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. God gets to pick what's important, right? And in this feast, you have the lamb, it's blemishless, and something else, it's an important piece. He didn't go on and on and on about the bitter herbs. He didn't go on and on and on about other portions of the meal. But he spent a lot of time explaining this piece of the unleavened bread. And the only explanation we get is, hey, it represents how God decidedly got you out, the haste with which he got you out. But it's an important piece of this festival. Last thing I want to point out about this before we start making some connections to today. If you're wondering if this is relevant, this is, this is highly relevant. He wants this to be for kids. We see that in chapter 12, verse 14. Chapter 12, verse 14. One of the reasons why we ask you to keep your kids up today. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. It will not be a feast in the next generation if this generation isn't growing up with this festival instilled in them. So it has to be instilled in the kids so that when they grow up, they instill it in their kids. So when those kids grow up, they pass it to their kids and so forth. That's pretty obvious. But he wants Israel to make sure they're doing what they have to do to make that, to get that torch passed to the next generation. So he tells them in verse 26, chapter 12, verse 26. When your children say to you, because this is inevitable, kids ask questions, right? When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Don't say, huh, I don't know. Go ask pastor. Go ask the priest. I'm not sure. Maybe we'll meet Moses one of these days. I mean, there's like three million of them, right? Everyone didn't know Moses on a first name basis. But maybe one of these days we'll bump into Aaron and we can ask him. No, no, no. Your responsibility to tell your kids what's up. He says, your kids are going to ask you, what do you mean by this service? And you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. You know what the next follow-up question to that is. Why did he spare our houses? Why did he pass over our house and land on other houses? Is it because we're special? Is it because of my tribe? Is it because we're so good? No, no, no. It's because of that innocent, blemishless lamb, son, that I asked you to bring out from the back of the yard, and you cried when I plunged a knife into it, because you had given it a name. It was the best among the whole bunch. It was the best little goat that we had, and we killed it. 
And then we put it on the table, roasted, and we ate it. That lamb didn't do anything. Why did you cry, son, when we did that? Or daughter, why did you cry when we killed that little goat? It didn't do anything. It had nothing to do with it. Exactly. God didn't deliver death to some houses and then not deliver death to other houses. Every house got a death. But it was either going to be your firstborn or something else. So you see how God wanted to set this ritual up to get the next generation asking questions. What is this stuff? And then the family is going to explain to those children what this is all about. Why is it bloody and why is there an innocent lamb involved? Why is there bread and why isn't it leavened? We see again in chapter 13. Look at verse 14. Chapter 13, verse 14. He's talking about the need to redeem all the firstborns from here on out. Every firstborn of the family has to be redeemed by another sacrifice with a lamb. And he says in verse 14, And when in time your, and when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be a mark on your head, Moses tells them, and a front that's between your eyes. In other words, keep it on your mind, keep it in front of you, keep looking at it. Don't forget this, that by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. As we think about the importance of this Passover festival, and we think about how God made certain themes, the most salient themes that they would pass to their kids, it was something for them to watch and see, and as they were eating around the table, they would ask questions, and those questions would be the prime opportunity for the parents and the family to press the truths of the faith into the next generation. This physical act, this ritual, this tradition, And for those of you who have been around church for a while, you may have made the connection a long time ago that this Passover is a picture, it's an analogy, pointing to Christ. We're going to put a couple verses up on the screen so we don't have to flip around too much. A couple verses that, of many that drive this home, that Jesus is that Passover lamb, he's that Passover a sacrifice, Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed, speaking of this coming Messiah. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. How hard would it be to sacrifice a lion? You've got to capture it, wrangle it, sedate it somehow, knock it out. I don't know what you would do in ancient times. To wrangle a lion, a crocodile, a bear. No, a sheep. It's not going to put up a fuss. It's not going to bite you. It's just going to follow you right to the sacrifice table. Why did God choose that? Well, that's why. Because that's what Jesus would do. He would willingly be that sacrifice. Another verse in John 1. John the Baptist sees Jesus. The next day, Jesus he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
John knew it immediately. And then finally, 1 Peter. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. It's not hard to draw the connection between what Passover was in the book of Exodus and what Jesus came to do and how Jesus fulfilled that ritual. So, death is knocking on everyone's door. Eternal death. Condemnation that everyone deserves. Those of us in here who would say, we're saved, right? We're with the Lord. We're not lost. There's no condemnation for us. How is that so? It's only so because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God's condemnation passes over me because Jesus took it. Now here's an important distinction to make, everyone. This is important. God is not a just God sometimes. He is not a just God for some people and then he's unjust for other people. Okay? I justly deserve to die. Forever. Eternally separated from God. Why doesn't that happen? Because God goes, okay, never mind. No. Because Jesus takes it. So Jesus becomes that covering and he takes that death. So that death happened, it just didn't happen to me. It happened to Christ. He becomes that innocent sacrifice that death gets transferred to so that I don't have it. That's the gospel. And this is why I say you don't have to leave the Old Testament to get to the gospel. It's there. If we are willing to see how it connects to Jesus Christ. So no one is saved because of doing good stuff. No one is saved because of rituals. You're saved because the faith that you apply to the one who's innocent, didn't deserve death, and took it for you, and then death passes you over because of that. We're hidden in Christ. He becomes our refuge. And we escape eternal condemnation. We see that he is the blood, he is the lamb. We also see in one more passage that I want to point out to you before we drive this home. Paul unpacks further the meaning of the unleavened bread. We'll put that on the screen for you. That's in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. In chapter 5, watch what he does with the leaven. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He's talking about sin in the church that people don't care about. You shouldn't be boasting about that. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, in case we're like, well, maybe he's just using unleavened, he's using leaven as a different analogy. No, it's the Exodus analogy. He's got the Passover on his mind. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So here in 1 Corinthians, Paul takes that leaven analogy, unpacks it a little bit more to say leaven represents sin, leaven represents something that shouldn't be in there, and it should be a pure bread. Christ represents that purity. So there's another importance of using the unleavened bread. Now, finally, when you get to the New Testament, And Jesus is about to go to the cross. And he's sitting around a table with his disciples. 
and they have bread, and they have wine. What festival was it? What meal was that? It was the Passover meal. It, it wasn't a late night Wendy's run. You know, I mean, it, it, was, it was late in the night, and it wasn't a normal meal. But they were celebrating the Passover. And what Jesus does in instituting the Lord's Supper is he's drawing on their memory and their habit of celebrating the Passover meal, and he's reappropriating that meal to himself and saying, here's two elements that everyone's going to do, Jew or Gentile, everyone is going to do this. You're going to take a broken bread. In my opinion, I think it's still important that that bread is unleavened. Right, so your kids ask you, why do we have crackers? I went to another church and they had a big old loaf of dough from Jerosh. <laughs> That's not wrong or sinful. We here like to keep that analogy of the fact that the bread is unleavened. Uh, and, it's, and it's shattered and it's easy to break. It's fragile. And Christ's body was broken for us. So the bread represents this bread from heaven that is our only sustenance. And it represents God's sacrifice of his son jesus christ who was broken on our behalf the wine represents the blood now we're not taking it and putting it on doorposts but he wants us to drink it we can be thankful it's not actual blood but it represents it because it's from the vine jesus says i'm the vine this is me and so in our drinking of this red colored liquid we're recognizing that the only reason why death passes over me is because Jesus took it with a shattered body and his spilled blood. That's communion. That's the Lord's Supper. And we see back in Exodus the importance of this ritual for the family. That importance lingers, guys, for our church today. So, we normally have communion before the sermon because I don't want the kids to go down and miss that experience. I want them to witness it. I want them to see us sitting around together and having this meal together of this broken bread and this spilled blood, which is the cup. These things should prompt questions in our kids and we shouldn't respond with a, you know, I'm not sure. We just always have done it. We should take them back to the gospel and explain it to them so that they can explain it to the next generation.